Our scripture reading this evening is from the last book in the Bible, the book of the Revelation, chapter 12. Revelation, chapter 12, we'll just commence a reading from the opening verse. The book of the Revelation, chapter 12, and verse 1. And there appeared a great wonder in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun, and the moon under her feet, and upon her head a crown of twelve stars. And she, being with child, cried, travailing in birth, and pain to be delivered. And there appeared another wonder in heaven, and behold, a great red dragon, having seven heads and ten horns, and seven crowns upon his heads. And his tail drew the third part of the stars of heaven, and had cast them to the earth. And the dragon stood before the woman, which was ready to be delivered, for to devour her child as soon as it was born. And she brought forth a man-child, who was to rule over nations with a rod of iron, and her child was caught up unto God and to his throne. And the woman fled into the wilderness, where she hath a place prepared of God, that they should feed her there a thousand two hundred and threescore days. And there was war in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon, and the dragon fought and his angels, and prevailed not. And neither was their place found any more in heaven. And the great dragon was cast out, that old serpent called the devil and Satan, which deceiveth the whole world, he was cast out into the earth, and his angels were cast out with him. And I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, Now is come salvation and strength in the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ, for the accuser of our brethren is cast down which accused them before our God day and night. And they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb, and by the word of their testimony, and they loved not their lives unto the death. Therefore rejoice, ye heavens, and ye that dwell in them. Woe to the inhabitants of the earth and of the sea, for the devil has come down unto you, having great wrath, because he knoweth that he hath but a short time. And when the dragon saw that he was cast upon the earth, he persecuted the woman which brought forth the man-child. And to the woman were given two wings of a great eagle, that she might fly into the wilderness, into her place where she is nourished for a time and times and half a time from the face of the serpent. And the serpent cast out of his mouth water as a flood after the woman, that he might cause her to be carried away of the flood. And the earth helped the woman, and the earth opened her mouth and swallowed up the flood, which the dragon cast out of his mouth. And the dragon was wroth with the woman and went to make war with the remnant of her seed, which keep the commandments of God and have the testimony of Jesus Christ. 
We end reading there at the last verse of this chapter, knowing that God will add to the public reading of his word his own divine seal of approval and blessing. My text this Lord's Day evening is the verse 11 of Revelation chapter 12. And they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony, and they loved not their lives unto the death. My subject is very direct, is snatched from the jaws of death. The book of the Revelation has consistently captured the interest of men and women ever since it was placed in the canon of the Holy Scriptures. Considered by theologians to reveal the last of all biblical prophecies, its message has been analysed scrutinized and publicized with varying degrees of controversy. To many, however, the book presents detail that is extremely difficult to interpret and even more problematic to understand. That is why the opening words of introduction must never be overlooked. For in verse 3 of chapter 1, we have this recorded assurance Blessed is he that readeth, and they that hear uh, the words of this prophecy. No other book in the Bible provides such a glorious introduction to the reader and hearer as these words, uh, thus confirming that the burden to understand its message is neither imposed upon or forced upon the person who is directed to its pages. While some of the revelations found within its 22 chapters are clothed in a cloud of mystery and will only be revealed at the time appointed, there are other important matters that are worthy of our most careful and prayerful consideration. Here in the 12th chapter, we are presented with evidence of a God-inspired reformation and a devil-inspired counter-revelation. Verse 7, And there was war in heaven, and Michael and the angels fought against the dragon, and the dragon fought and his angels. The ceaseless nature of this war between the powers of righteousness and the perversity of unrighteousness is one that on certain historical occasions has moved from the invisible to the visible. Was this not the central thought, the central objection raised by Martin Luther, who in witnessing the public violation of the second commandment concerning the corrupt exploitation of idolatry, uh, protested vigorously against the elevation of imagery of icons and of idols as objects of worship and adoration. With all of his heart, he believed that God is spirit and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. On reflection, No no legitimate argument can be raised to the fact uh, that the continent of Europe has been the recipient 
of a gracious movement that was truly honored and blessed of God. But some 500 years since that 1517 intervention, the spiritual landscape of the European continent in particular and the world in general has profoundly and dramatically changed. An insight of which is given in our scripture reading. Please notice the reference in the opening part of this chapter uh, to the crown of twelve stars upon the head of the woman. You'll find it there in verse 1. And then the appearance of the great red dragon uh, in verse 3. Here the vision of John uh, moves from the unseen to the seen as two of the most formidable uh, forces on the planet compete for supremacy. It cannot be mere coincidence that the motif of the European Parliament consists of 12 stars. In a sense, this is quite remarkable, in that each star ought to represent a member state. But today there are some 27 states Now, why did the members not insist of creating a new standard to include the newly incorporated states by adding the number of stars? Was it not that they were providentially constrained so that the words of this divinely inspired and infallible book would be sovereignly preserved? Surely left to man... He would want to include every star representing the nations of Europe beyond the twelve of its founding nations. Then there is this great red dragon, which is the national symbol of Oriental China. And can we not see as we look around the world today uh, the influence that it has in innumerable projects throughout each of the five continents. Never before in the history of this world has the devil been given so much freedom to make his mark upon the world's population. He is well described as a liar, as a thief and a murderer. Tragically, sickly, He has allured many young men and women across the threshold between time and eternity. With these, he has enrolled agents of the most perverted kind to advance sins that are physically damaging, that are psychologically destructive, that are spiritually damning. And yet our text remains the only message that is composed of hope and is preserved from corruption. And they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony, and they loved not their lives unto the death. Please notice the overcoming Lamb. While the application of the opening part of the text clearly refers to the cleansing power of the Saviour's sacrificial blood, 
And the implication draws us into a satanically motivated conflict against the beloved Lord Jesus Christ. The war in heaven is spoken of in verse 7 was but a prelude to a constantly evolving strategy that unveils Satan's determination to obstruct the Lamb of God from coming into this world. The exploits of Nimrod in Genesis chapter 11 to build a city whose top would reach to heaven was nothing more than an ambitious attempt to elevate sinful man to heavenly dominance. In other words, to replace the creator by the creature. Just a few days ago, there was that massive conference in Glasgow known as the COP26. And it's very clear from all the analysis that one would have upon the events of that, that particular time that the objective was very clearly to replace the creator by the creature. Listen to their language. They speak about the natural world, whereas we should be speaking about the supernatural world. And it is interesting that in the case of Nimrod's attempt to build the Tower of Babel, that God confounded the language of the people so that they could not understand one and other speech. Again, I refer to Glasgow. Did not the people have their interpreters there? Why? Because of Genesis chapter 11. But the momentum of hatred against God's plan to redeem the people, to save the souls of the lost uh, through the blood of his only begotten son, never dimmed or faded as each generation gave place to another. The devil fastening on to the promise given by God concerning the lineage of David that the Messiah would emerge from his loins, he seized the opportunity to confront a young and inexperienced teenager with the mightiest warrior at that time. With every step, the earth vibrated under the steady march of the giant Goliath as he approached the anointed of God, his eyes articulating a disdain for a youth in whom resided the promise of the coming King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Armed with a sling and five smooth stones, Jesse's son approached the fearful-looking Gathite. Thou comest to me with a sword, David said, and with a spear and with a shield. But I come to thee in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom thou hast defied. In these remarkable words, we have confirmation of David's unique commission 
He was the Godhead's representative in the field of battle. And as such, he could never have been defeated. The Lamb of God must and will overcome. But a different generation arose to provide the channel for another attempt to break the God-ordained line between David and the day when John the Baptist would cry out, Behold the Lamb of God that beareth away the sin of the world. On this occasion, it was a woman, a woman by the name of Athaliah, the mother of King Ahaziah, who died at the hand of a zealous Jehu. Of his death we read these words, And when Athaliah, the mother of Ahaziah, saw that her son was dead, she arose and destroyed all the seed royal. She was utterly determined, certainly empowered, to break the line between David and the Messiah. This was an act that broke through every maternal instinct in that she not only murdered her children, she murdered her grandchildren, as she thought. But God's word cannot be sacrificed upon the altar of such brutalized campaign as demonstrated in the miraculous preservation of a grandson called Joash. He was rescued by his aunt. And this young son of Ahaziah was kept out of public view for several years before being presented to the nation as the boy king. The line to the Lamb of God remained unbroken. And what can we say of Herod's proclamation at the time of the Saviour's birth, where he sent forth and slew all the children that were in Bethlehem and all the coasts thereof from two years old and under, according to the time which he had diligently inquired of the wise men? Who can fathom such depths of depravity or grasp the exceeding wickedness of the human heart all in an effort to achieve the impossible. They overcame him by the blood of the Lamb. The overcoming Lamb. But then please notice, we have the overpowering life. Every one of us by nature is born without Christ. The message is so abundantly clear. We do not need to teach children to sin. We do not need to develop in them the habit to tell lies or to steal or do other things that are contrary to the teaching of God's word. It is an inbred part of the corruptible nature of all of mankind. But what is often forgotten 
is the fact that man and woman in sin is nothing more than a slave. And this truth is especially highlighted at the point of a person's conversion because Paul describes it so beautifully when he said, because the creature itself also shall be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. As creatures... We live in a mortal frame that bears all the characteristics of decay, of demise, and of desolation. Ingredients that provide the breeding ground for the sin that doth so easily beset us. And although these sins come in a multitude of forms and rise and fall by degrees of intensity, They are united in this. They strive to dissociate the unsaved from the Lamb of God. Your sins and your iniquities have separated between you and your God. And while sin may not have the voice replicated in the tones of a Goliath, or the excessive pride of Nimrod, or the brutal actions of Athaliah. Nevertheless, sin promotes the rejection of the Lord Jesus Christ as Savior. In pre-Reformation times, the vast, vast majority of people were in bondage to the trappings of religion, They were imprisoned under a system of priestcraft that demanded but could not deliver. The people were entrapped in indescribable misery. The thought of an overpowering life was unthinkable, even to the most intellectual-minded person. But once the spiritual light began to dawn and spread beyond borders and boundaries and districts. The forces of darkness were overcome by the blood of the Lamb. Thousands were brought to accept that salvation is indeed of the Lord, whereby they received grace to cast off the shackles that bound them to traditions and embrace the truth that would set them free. Mercifully, the passage of time has not interfered with the transformative power of this Christ-centered gospel. That means that this is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. And that's the truth that has brought reform to every nation which welcomed both the message and the messengers of God's redeeming grace. Let me ask you to do something very simple. It's not difficult, is it, to discern the national differences between Afghanistan 
and Australia, between Iran and Iceland, between the United Arab Emirates and the United Kingdom, Bible-centered Christianity has been used by God to give all who are saved an overpowering life. And we have seen this. We have observed it. God changes people's lives. Forgive me if I've reminded you of this before. But many years ago, and you will recall this, those who have lived through the troubles, as they were called, there were those that were sadly known as the Shankle Road Butchers. Those men, they came to our service in the Crumlin Road Prison. And I never would have asked a man, though I was there from 1969 to the prison closed in 1996, I never asked a man why he was there. But there were occasions when such was the notoriety of the crime and the wrong sense of notoriety, of course, that you couldn't fail to identify the people. One Sunday morning, one of these men came up after the service. They said, I I want to be saved. I sat down with him at the front of the room in which we had the service. I spoke to him as if I was speaking to a non-saved person maybe gathered in this meeting and explained the way of salvation and redemption to this dear man. Due to the system in the prison at that time, whenever someone was sentenced, they were taken from the Crumlin Road and then transferred to the Mays Prison. And on the last Sunday that he was with us, he said to me, I have got a tariff of 18 years to be considered for parole. I'm going to come to your church when I'm out. 18 years passed. I went to the church one morning, Sunday morning. I was opening the side gate and there was a man standing against the railings. I wasn't sure of him at all. Then I looked and he was following me into the church. And I turned round and I said, should I know you? And then he mentioned his name. He said, 18 years ago I promised that on my first Sunday I would be at your church. I've walked it from the Shankle Road right across Belfast to be here. And I want to tell you something. God has kept me these 18 years. Humanly speaking, that slave to sin would have been cast off. But the work of the gospel is a transformative work. It's not the persuasion of the preacher. 
It is the work of God himself. It can't be any other. It is he who gives the overpowering life. Which brings me to a final point. And that is the outworking legacy. If the message of the Bible has not been of God, it would have been devoured by legions of forces whose agenda swung between persecution and intimidation and back to persecution. The written books of history give account after account of men and women who loved not their life unto the death. Fox's Book of Martyrs is but one example that documents the testimony that both vindicated and visualized the authority of God's word. When thou passest through the waters, I will be with thee, and through the rivers they shall not overflow thee. When thou walkest through the fire, thou shalt not be burned, neither shall the flame kindle upon thee. For the strength of this gospel that is preached here in this congregation week in and week out is witnessed in its legacy concerning death. If death to the messengers of this book was to stop the preaching of the gospel, it would have been stopped centuries ago. But today, it's still preached. Maybe not so many listening to it as once there was. But the legacy still lives on. It's still outworking. For we believe that death, though it is described as a last enemy, that death's momentum, while it never will be reduced, Thank God it is defeated by the power of the gospel. We must all die, says the Bible, and are as water spilt upon the ground that cannot be gathered up again. But the message is so abundantly clear that being justified by faith alone in Christ alone that there is provided for men and women, boys and girls, a hope beyond the grave for one simple reason, that Christ died for the ungodly. The blessed Lamb of God had power to lay down his life. He had power to raise it again but willingly, voluntarily, and satisfactorily he paid the debt that I could not pay. And part of that transaction was the removing of the sting of death from all who will believe. I know many of us have been thinking very much about Mrs. McLaughlin and her dear mother, who meant so much to, to many of you. 
And I trust that she will not mind me sharing the little conversation that I had with her after her mother's death. But she was telling me that how her mother died in her arms. And I said to her, you know, Rosemary, it's a wonderful thought that the Lord Jesus Christ came at that moment and he took your dear mother from your arms and he carried her home. And I believe that with all of my heart. Does not the Bible teach us that if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself. To those who are still out of Christ, I know it sounds very much like a cliche, but it's much more than that. You simply do not know what you're missing. Not only in life, but in death. They overcame him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. And they loved not their lives unto the death. This is salvation in its entirety. Thank you for listening. I do trust that God will graciously bless his word to your heart.